How you doing, man? Doing great, doing great. Excited to, to talk about this book. I really enjoyed it. All right. I understand you read the book Signpost by Peter Bussey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I read a book called Signpost to God, uh, written by a physicist, kind of accounting um, his his journey, intellectual journey, um, to to faith, and uh, it was quite it was quite instructive. All right. Very good. So the first thing I'd like to know about this book, JQ, is what was the what did you feel the main ideas are that that the author is trying to express? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. So um, the main the main point that the author was trying to convey is that you know there's a widespread assumption in modern society that religious belief and science are in conflict, and his contention is that this isn't the case. Um, this is kind of misguided. And so he tries to walk through how he personally as a physicist has reconciled what we know, you know the scientific process and what we know about, you know, the universe and, um, you know, the, the kind of core ideas that undergird the practice of science, philosophically even, with religion, which at times, from some perspectives, can seem opposed to science, both philosophically and in terms of the specific beliefs. Um, so, you know, he tries to dissect some of these and describe how how they're actually not at odds, um, and yeah, I thought it was, it was quite interesting that here's here's take. Um, he he leveraged a lot of classic arguments like the fine tuning argument um, and the cosmological argument, but also introduced some some kind of ways of partitioning this question that I thought were somewhat unique um, and were refreshing. All right, very good. So now, what are some key takeaways that you got from the work? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So um, a couple of things really, really jumped out. So one is, you know, one point that he makes, um, which the author of The Language of God, another book that we briefed, also made, was that um, you know, practicing scientists have views on religion that are as divided as those of any other section of the population, ranging from committed belief to equally firm unbelief. And over 40% of, more than 40% of scientists are, um, you know, believe in a personal God, according to Recent recent surveys, um, which is a number that actually remains unchanged over over decades, which uh, would surprise I think many people. Um, and so there are many many scientists who are who are what most would describe as religious. And in fact, many of the most kind of famous scientists in history were deeply religious people. Some with names that you know anyone who's familiar with mathematics and physics has probably heard, like Boyle, Euler. Faraday, Maxwell, obviously Mendel, the kind of key figure in in genetics, you know, uh, Compton, a a scientist that discovered the light wave duality, um, uh, sorry, the particle wave duality of light, you know, Riemann, you know, famous Riemann hypothesis, which is one of the kind of Millennium Prize problems, Uh, you know, Newton, obviously, Isaac Newton, um, you know, and, and many, many others, it goes on and on, Gauss, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, it's, kind of, it's interesting. So um, that, that that's the case. Um, and so he, he makes this point and uh, he kind of invokes that notion. And then he also jumps from there to kind of describe perhaps why people have this misguided idea that religion and science are, are opposed, where this comes from um, in, in most cases. And then he presents what he sees as the boundaries of, as the, of the boundaries of science and um, and where religion comes in, um, not in a kind of God in the gaps, God of the gaps, quote unquote, way, um, but in a in a much more well well uh, kind of 
firmly placed way, which aligns with the way Einstein viewed these questions and you know, um, Wilson, uh, a legendary biologist, and Newton and others, how they viewed this question. And so and that was a very kind of instructive, um, also actually Hawking, I'll mention as well, um, you know, saw, had a similar perspective, although he came to a different conclusion perhaps, and Godel and Turing and a few, few other famous figures in mathematics slash computer science had a similar perspective. So uh, he draws a kind of interesting um, distinction of you know, where science ends and where religion perhaps begins. And, you know, where we have to have a philosophical stance. Um, and so it was, it was very interesting to hear the way he dissected things. Okay. Would it be fair to say that science deals with data that can be observed, studied, you know, and repeated? Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely, um, you know, a large part of it, right? Science is, uh, science is a method, largely. It's a set of methods. Um, you know, it's largely about what can be observed, um, it's also about describing things um, and characterizing them and, you know, characterizing their mathematical properties, for example. Um, but, you know, there are, you know, many, many kind of points at which, you know, science, at least in its most traditional form, um, you know, there are things that, that we can't, that we kind of fundamentally can't observe or that we can't know. And so that gives way to a lot of different quote unquote interpretations. Right. Um, and, you know, in, in quantum mechanics, there's many of the famous ones like the Copenhagen interpretation or the Everett interpretation, which we might discuss a little bit. Um, and, you know, and these are almost these are philosophical slash almost religious stances that the physics community takes. And same thing with like Platonism and nominalism um, or nominalism and universalism, rather, um, you know, within the mathematical community or with other other um, sub areas of the physics community. You know, and so you know, there are. You know, philosophical stances. There are points when physics itself ends, and you know, you know, and philosophy begins to to emerge and and to dominate. And um, it's at these frontiers where you know, there are really important mysteries um, that science can't give us the answer to, um, and that we you know, we have to develop a stance on where that stance is positioned one way or the other, um, which is almost a question of faith and or or a perspective of you know it's unknowable or it doesn't matter. Um, which might not be satisfying to to many as it isn't to the author. Okay. So now I'm interested to understand what are some common beliefs that he actually dispels. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 most central one is this idea of physicalism or materialism, and um, I'll actually I'll step away from the book to invoke um, something that I, that I referenced in brief a second ago, which is. Godel's incompleteness theorem, um, and so yeah, Godel's incompleteness theorem is for, for those who aren't familiar with it is um, so Godel. First off, I guess Godel was a very important mathematician of the 20th century. Um, you know, was was good friends with Einstein. Um, you know, his discoveries applied to mathematics, uh, but also to a lot of other branches of science, logic more generally. Um, it had some really important implications. Um, you know, one of the I think most important results that he, that he had was basically he had, he had this theorem that said that basically anything you can draw a circle around, there's one way of stating it um, that, that I really like, which is that anything, quote, you can draw a circle around cannot explain itself without referencing or without referring to something outside the circle, something you have to assume but cannot prove, right? So, you know, there's always, there are always kind of, axiomatic principles that you have to assume that allow you to prove things. And so you know, another way of stating is that 
any effectively generated theory capable of expressing, it's kind of a somewhat formal way, but um, any effectively generated theory capable of expressing elementary arithmetic cannot be consistent and complete, in particular for any consistent effectively generated formal theory that proves certain basic arithmetic truths. So basically, there is an arithmetical statement that is true, but not provable in theory, right? And so um, you know, there, there's many ways of stating this, but the idea is you, you know, basically, a, a, another way to put it is that all non-trivial systems are, how would I put it? Without getting too technical, I'll just say, basically, you know, there are some things that we have to assume about, right. about the universe. You have some fundamental axioms to from that you have to assume on by faith. Exactly. 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 And so, kind of what you exactly. also said there is that um, that most any theory is going to be there's going to be parts of it that are going to rest on unprovable pillars, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly right. And you know, so this is interesting because the world's largest atheist website, um, arguably, which is Infidels, on the homepage you find the following statement, which is that. Naturalism is the hypothesis that the natural world is a closed system, which means that nothing that is not part of the natural world affects it, right? So naturalism is affirmed on the world's largest atheist website, and it's something that's known within the mathematical physics community to have its limits and to be false, essentially. Um, and so, you know, that's a very important point, which is that materialism, naturalism, this idea that you know, physics gives an account of everything that material um, that everything is kind of material and, and fully characterizable by the material universe that we observe um, is, is knowably false, right? And so um, that's a really important, really important thing to establish. And, and he gives some examples of this and talks about you know, some of the mysteries, um, you know, some of the points, some of the points of contention were differing philosophical perspectives, faith-based perspectives, I dare say, um, kind of rule or or or, or compete within within the scientific community um, and it was quite quite interesting okay very good so now how does he lead us on this journey what's the structure of the book yeah no great question so so he starts off um, in the first part he spends a lot of time giving an overview of the essential ideas across physics astronomy and cosmology and you know, within within physics, he, he kind of talks about some of the key things that we understand about physics. You know, the nature of the laws of physics, and you know, also kind of talks about the the deep importance of the fact that the laws of physics are actually expressible in mathematical form. Not, you know, in something that was obvious that that should be the case for you know a long time, right? Um, it's almost it's a, an enigma that that's, that that is the case. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Einstein, Einstein allegedly says that the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is its comprehensibility, right? And so, you know, it's, it's quite it's quite amazing that we can comprehend the universe. And so, um, he starts off, you know, describing some of these principles, some of these laws. And after talking about the basics of physics, he dives into other areas like astronomy and cosmology, mm -hmm. and uses the opportunity to present the cosmological argument, um, you know, a legendary argument within apologetics for. The, the existence of God, as well as the fine-tuning argument, um, which you know invokes the remarkable fact that the universe appears to be set up in a way as to be friendly to development of advanced forms of life, advanced forms of life, right? Um, from there, after kind of giving this whirlwind tour of physics, he starts to address some philosophical questions and um, to kind of discusses the implications of the fact that 
you know, we have a we have consciousness and examines questions concerning human nature and the limits of rationality and science and introduces this, this interesting uh, interesting kind of contrast between mysteries and mystery and ignorance, right? So mystery versus ignorance, and um, that I briefly discussed earlier. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, that's kind of the, the the progression is starting off with you know what we know, and then discussing okay, what what are the perspectives that emerge and the questions that emerge uh, at the at the li at the limits of our knowledge at the you know, debatably the philosophically you know, knowable limits of our knowledge, right? Things that we'll never be able to understand because we have to assume certain things to even posit them. Okay, excellent. So now, what would you say your favorite quotes are from the book? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, let, me, let, me, let me think about that a little bit. I really liked um, a quote from the biologist E.O. Wilson where you know, I, I was... In general, I was very drawn to the section about discussing mystery and the scientific sense of mystery. Mm -hmm. um, before I mentioned the quote, I was mentioning you know, something that the scientific community has been criticized for, um, you know, similar to the religious community, actually, is kind of a certain sense of haughtiness, perhaps. Right? Um, sometimes science can seem, you know, based on how the way it's practiced by some or the way it's viewed from the can. Yeah. It can seem to lack awe and wonder and appreciation of mystery. It can be dismissive of mystery, um, right? Sometimes we take for granted that just because we can describe something and characterize its mathematical properties that we understand what it is. Um, and you know, this author invokes the point that that's not the case. And so um, yeah, there are a couple of quotes to that effect. Um, let, me, let me pull up a couple. You know, one is from the biologist E.O. Wilson. And... He said that, or since he made this interesting point that you know, as we learn more and more about science, right, as, as our knowledge expands, so does our sense of wonder. And so he said, quote, our sense of wonder grows exponentially. The greater the knowledge, the deeper the mystery, and the more we seek knowledge to create new mystery. And I thought that was kind of a beautiful um, way of, of describing the scientific process. Um, and you know, there's another great quote to that effect from Richard Feynman, uh, a physicist. And one of, the, one of the greatest, arguably one of the greatest physicists of all time, who, um, and definitely one of the greatest teachers, um, who was kind of described the sense of wonder that permeated, you know, his life in a, in a unique way. And he talked about how, how he wanted to learn, quote, I wanted to learn very much, I wanted very much to learn to draw for a reason that I kept to myself. I wanted to convey an emotion I have about the beauty of the world. It's so difficult to describe because it's an emotion. It's analogous to the feeling one has in religion that has to do with the God that controls the whole universe. There's a generality aspect that you feel when you think about how things that appear so different and behave so differently are all run, quote, behind the scenes, end quote, by the same organization, the same physical laws. It's an appreciation of the mathematical beauty of nature, of how she works inside, a realization that the phenomena we see result from the complexity of the inner workings between atoms a feeling of how dramatic and wonderful it is. It's a feeling of awe, of scientific awe, which I felt could be communicated through drawing to someone who had also had this emotion. It would remind him for a moment of this feeling about the glories of the universe. I thought that was a, that was a beautiful quote. And so those are a couple of my favorite quotes. There are many other great ones, um, but those are a couple of ones that stood, stood out to me. 
Okay. Is there anything else that you think people should know before they set out to read this book? Yeah, I guess a couple of things. You know, I'll I'll discuss them. Um, you know, one is, you know, so we, I talked a little bit about the structure of the book um, at broad at broad levels, but um, you know, slightly more specifically, you know, he um, he spends a lot of time. You know, it's a it's a great way to learn um, to get a a great introduction to our current the state of the art of our knowledge in physics, and he discusses you know, some basic some physics in the initial chapters in a very you know, concise and an intuitive way. Um, you know, he he describes and it will it'll make you very literate and give you the ability to, to discuss these topics with with anyone um, and to and to understand them. And I think it'll actually give you an appreciation for for the glory of of, of this universe and um, you know instill a sense of wonder. Um, you know, there's some there's some really interesting philosophical discussions that could get fairly technical, so I won't dive too deep into them. Um, yeah, I, I think we you know we could potentially discuss the cosmological argument or the fine-tuning argument, but those have been cited well in other cases, and so perhaps I'll just note that those are great arguments that he invokes. Um, and if you're not familiar with them, you know, Boyle and Craig um, and Sinclair and Spitzer and Gordon, some other really great apologists have, have invoked these as well. And um, you know, I I would recommend looking into those. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend the book. I think it's a, it was a very a very uh, fun read. Um, and he made a really a lot of really great points. All right. Puts me in mind of uh, a little bit Plato versus Aristotle a little bit. All right. <laughs> yeah. Very funny that you say that, you know, one of, um, you know, we, we didn't get a chance, I guess, to dive into this in depth, but one of the kind of key philosophical, you know, um, narratives that yeah, he introduces is this idea that I mentioned briefly of nominalism versus universalism, which some people call, you know, just, um, kind of, Described as Platonism versus, you know, I guess, the views of Aquinas, where you know Plato kind of believed that you know, ideas have an absolute existence of their own, independent of both creation and creator. That you know, mathematical objects are real in some fundamental sense, um, whereas Aquinas and others believe that you know ideas do not have their existence outside of their incorporation into material things. Um, and so it's funny that you say that he discusses those types of you know, very crucial epistemological and, and philosophical arguments that have, I guess, been hashed out throughout the history of, of, of philosophy and civilization. So it was very, very interesting, both from a scientific and a philosophical perspective. Thanks. So, Jared, could you tell me a little bit more detail about uh, the cosmological argument? Certainly, yeah. So the cosmological argument actually is also sometimes Term the Kalam argument, and um, it's you know a very a very old argument that's been around, and um, I think has been appreciated as solid, philosophically solid for hundreds of years at least. Um, it's you know the it's used both in the Christian community, the Jewish community, and the Kalam, and sorry, in the Islamic community. Um, it was actually attributable to Islamic scholars, and I guess it deals with some of the fundamental questions that are common to all these saints and, you know, you know, that share, I guess, some, some core aspects. And the basic idea, which you know, has in recent times been, been affirmed, is that, um, I guess there's a, there are a couple of axioms, but to put it slightly less formally, you know, 
the simple point is, so the universe came into existence at a point in time, right? The universe began to exist. That is something that the scientific community now appreciates. Um, it wasn't known for actually a long time. It was believed by religion, right? The, the Bible states that God made the world. The, theory, the Bible kind of ex- describes a point in time where the universe began. Um, but you know, many, some philosophies, some philosophies don't didn't have that belief, right? They believed in this kind of infinite universe. But we now know that the universe had a point, a beginning. And so the Kalam argument basically says, you know, whatever begins to exist has a cause of its beginning, um, which that's a that's a, an axiom that has been firmly debated, but I think is pretty well established and is definitely very intuitive and almost is critical for rationality. You know, since we now know that the universe began to exist, it therefore stands that the universe had a cause of its beginning, right? And so, essentially, you know, what, what that implies is that something caused the universe. And so, what do we do with this information? I think that's something a lot of people appreciate. And so, in the in the physics community, there's a couple of things that have emerged. Um, and these are, I must note that these, you know, this is not something that science can answer. Right? These are questions that are, at least, you know, um, you know, to a certain extent, we're talking about what happened before the beginning of time, before the beginning of the universe, right? So these are things that we have to have faith about. We can either say it doesn't matter, or we can't know it, or we can, you know, develop a perspective on it. And so many scientists, what they, many physicists believe in uh, what's called a kind of many worlds interpretation, which is basically saying, you know, our universe is actually a, you know, a small bubble within a much, much larger multiverse. And there are arguably infinite multiverses, according to these theories. And um, these are, you know, the universe is potentially in a cycle, in a never-ending cycle of expansion and, you know, and perhaps compression. Um, And, you know, uh, and basically we just happen to be in one of these universes. That's really unsatisfying to many, um, and myself included, because it doesn't really, it doesn't really put off the point that the universe had a beginning. It kind of just, you know, um, punts the, the, the ball down a little bit further um, and doesn't kind of address this point of, okay, well, what caused that larger universe? Now, some claim that the same could be said of God, but actually, you know, the very simple point that William Lane Craig, I think, has made really well is, you know, if time itself had a beginning, then what we could posit is that whatever caused the universe to exist and whatever caused time to exist is you know, beyond the universe and beyond time. It is timeless. It is spaceless. Right? Space came into existence at the beginning of the universe. So it is timeless. It is spaceless. Um, and so you know, that thing, that timeless, that spaceless thing, that's that is at the most fundamental level. That is, those are the some of the attributes of God. Right? Beyond time, um, He always has been. He always will be. Right, that type of idea, um, and you know, there's there are a couple of steps to get from there to you know Christianity or to Judaism or to any particular instantiation, uh, but that fundamental deist idea right, um, is a powerful one, and there's some there are really strong cases for arguing that that beyond time, beyond space thing to to call it that um, is a personal thing. Um, has you know personal properties, has consciousness arguably, and perhaps you know is 
you know, actually is the kind of definer of, of the absolute moral law that all humans seem to have in our hearts. Um, you know, there's a strong case for that. And let's kind of, those are the basic premises, though, of the cosmological argument. Um, it's really quite compelling. I recommend the listeners um, go and, and uh, research William Lane Craig and the cosmological argument if they'd like to learn more. Okay, excellent. I appreciate that. Thank you, JQ. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Have a great evening. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at christianbrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at christianbrief.com.